So we have uh, been in a series on the book of Acts, and this will be the, the last one for, uh, for next week, uh, believe it or not, Advent starts. Advent is the, the time leading up to Christmas, and uh, so we'll be doing a, a separate uh, series, Advent series called Good News, uh, starting next week. So I get to kind of wrap up this fall's Acts focus here. Um, we've seen the, the birth of the church uh, so far through the book of Acts, and there's been some beautiful examples of the ideal early church for us to look at. In, in Acts 2 and in Acts 4, we see the early church being of one mind, and there's, there's no needs among them, and everyone's sharing everything, and, and they're meeting together daily. And we have this view of, of just this ideal, perfect church. Acts 5 comes along and pops the bubble. Ananias and Sapphira, the persecution that is uh, seen. And then we get into Acts 6, and that's today's text, and it'll be highlighting some of the issues of division within the church. And the church, believe it or not, has had division basically since the beginning. The, The honeymoon phase is over. It's time to deal with some conflict. So that's where we're headed today. Doesn't that sound fun? I'm glad I get to preach on it. Wonderful. Let me read to you uh, from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, our text for today, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into it. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn over this, this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented the men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So we'll start with some background here as we, as we examine this text. Uh, as we see in verse 1, the number of disciples is growing. And this is great. But anytime there is growth, there comes complexity. And as we see here, there is a less prominent group that is being overlooked. So if you really want to get into this, you can do your own historical research. But basically, the Grecian Jews weren't as familiar with the Hebraic Jews' customs uh, and systems that they had. So they weren't actually intentionally being overlooked, at least from what I've read. Uh, As later converts to Judaism, they just didn't have the same depth of connection uh, with the Jewish social system that was in Jerusalem as the Hebraic Jews did. In the Old Testament, the uh, Jews had systems for taking care of widows and orphans. And the Hellenists, the the Greeks, uh, would have had a different system if they had one at all. 
So think about it this way. Someone who's grown up in the church and has lots of family support versus a new convert or someone who starts attending later in life and just doesn't have the same family support or, or connections background. It's a similar situation. The new converts just didn't have that same depth of support and understanding in Jerusalem, and they were ending up being overlooked. So, uh, we have a few points that I want to touch on here uh, this morning. Uh, As a general overview, I'll highlight six things, and as I submitted this to Grace, she was like, a six-point sermon. That is not right. Like, just, what are you doing? And it's like, man, the number seven here, I missed one, so you can figure out where I missed it. Uh, First one, there's a problem. There's two groups, and they're complaining against each other. Second, they, they gather together as they, as they move towards the solution. They, they gather together. They recognize the importance of holistic ministry, including gifts and roles. They clarify some qualifications for leadership, and they commission people and lay hands on them, bless them. And the solution ends up becoming a, a system that uh, gets created. And as a result, the number of disciples grows. If you like a short sermon, there it is. Have a good day. Uh, As I studied this, I found uh, that the point of this whole passage is likely that Luke, the author, uh, wants to highlight the importance of growth in the church when problems are resolved. Definitely relevant for us today. For me, as I got into this, I I thought, I just want to jump right to application. Like, let's go. Let's talk about this stuff. There is so much application Uh, It's a very relevant passage for us or for any church that's going through uh, challenges. But I think it's important before we we get to the application that we set this story within the broader context of God's Word. And as I kind of alluded to already in in the first four chapters, we, we seem to have this ideal community, this ideal church where everyone's needs are being met The Spirit is being poured out. Miracles are happening. This is awesome. This is the birth of the church. This is the honeymoon between Christ and his bride. This is like the creation story in in Genesis 1 and 2, this ideal creation's beginning. And like I said, then you have Acts chapter 5, and you have two people, husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, who die because of sin, disobedient, deceit, their lie. And you start to see a similarity here with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, where sin enters the world. You know, sin is now entering the church in Acts 5. And then you continue on, and you you see the numeric growth. Luke continues to highlight the numeric growth of God's people, and yet there's enslavement, there's opposition. Like we see with the Israelites as they're in Egypt. The Israelites were growing in number but they were enslaved, enslaved by the Egyptians. And here you have Peter and John who are put into prison. But then they're miraculously released from prison, whereas you have the Israelites miraculously set free from Egypt as they go into the Red Sea. God sets them free. There's this miraculous release there. And even with this freedom and even with this amazing presence of God and the miracles There's still grumbling for the Israelites, complaining in the early church, and there's some need for structure. There's some need for for some sort of system to come into place, and that's part of our story for today. 
It's similar to Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, coming to him and setting up some leaders among the Jews to solve some disputes. I, I, I point this out because it's important that we recognize the importance of Jewish history uh, today as we, as we look into the Old Testament. But it was especially important for them back in the early church. And this is why today we need to read both the Old Testament and the New Testament. We need to read the whole Bible. Jewish history is so significant to the early church and parallels were constantly being developed and put forward by them. The, the big difference, though, is that in the New Testament, it's the centrality of Christ's death and resurrection that is providing freedom and restored relationship with God. They were all filled with the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. There is no longer needed the the legalistic, ritualistic sacrifices. And this was the good news that the apostles, that the early disciples preached. And it's the good news that we to this day still hold on to, that Jesus is the Messiah that he is our savior, that he is the final sacrifice. And there is no other way to be saved from sin, from oppression, from slavery, from spiritual imprisonment than having faith in Jesus Christ. And that is the the nutshell. That is what this whole uh, story is about. It's the culmination of Jesus setting people free. So with that as a background... Let me develop each of these, these six points uh, and some applications for us uh, today. I'm going to be doing a little bit more, uh, providing some self-reflection questions for you. Some of you are going to hate that. Some of you are going to love the self-reflection stuff. Some of you just want to, just tell me what to do. Uh, we're going to lean on the side of asking you some questions as opposed to giving you some real practical um, examples here uh, for how you can, you can uh, live this out. Uh, we do have uh, small group uh, discussion questions. If you're in a small group, it's a great place to work through some of these questions, and you can find those questions and work through them on your own uh, on our website, wherever you find the link to, uh, to this morning's service. But the question is, how do you see yourself in this story? Where, where are you in it? And we'll, we'll work through uh, each of these points with a few questions. So, first of all, uh, there is a problem. The problem comes from something positive, though. The number of disciples is increasing. And it's not just increasing in numbers from a similar background. It is increasing from a multi, it's becoming a multicultural church. Different groups forming from different backgrounds and speaking different languages and having uh, different customs. And this is a good thing. This is, Luke is presenting it as a, as a this is a really good thing. The church is, is growing. And this is relevant also for us today. Over the years, as Forest Grove has, has grown, we've seen new people come to Jesus. We are now a church of three sites, not just one. But we've had to adapt. When we started, it was more of a church where many grew up and had families connected in it to a church where many do not come from a Christian family background. We have different ethnicities, different worldviews, different political, theological leanings. And over the years, we have simply become more of a diverse church. As a result, believe it or not, we have had different groups complaining about one another. And as much as we do not like this, I think we have to recognize that this is relatively normal. It's been around in the church for the last 2,000 years. But it needs to be dealt with. It doesn't 
just need to be sit, sit there and fester. So to just start thinking, what does unity in the church look like today, here? Are you a part of bringing people together? How have you contributed to dividing? Uh, one of the current issues that I'll put forward uh, uh, seems to be about how we live out our theological convictions. We need to ask the question, what needs to be hold on to? And what needs to be uh, changed as we live out our theological convictions? So I'm not going to answer that, but what we are going to do is we're going to look at how in Acts chapter 6 they've started moving towards a solution, which takes me to point number two. They gathered together. That was the start of moving towards a solution. One of the commentators suggested that they gathered together immediately so that the problems wouldn't fester. And I'm sure there was some time that ended up going by, but the reality is that at some point in time, it kind of boiled to the top. And like this widow's issue, the divide, the complaining, was needing uh, some sort of resolution, some sort of a, a solution, then they came together to figure that out. Uh, it wasn't just the apostles that did it, it was all of the disciples. They all gathered together. Everyone had a part in the solution. This wasn't just handed down from on high from the, from the apostles, not just one group of leaders uh, taking matters into their own hands. There was this sense of, of togetherness, which fits broader into the broader scripture of, of do not neglect meeting together. This is a, this is a command throughout uh, the Word of God. As a, as a church, we have done some work around this as we have worked on our discipleship steps. One of our discipleship steps, one of the ways that we describe discipleship following Jesus is to create community. Following Jesus is not just a solo effort. We do it together. We create community. We live out our following of Jesus in community. Now, this has been a challenge in the past few years. We now have people joining us online. Hello. Are we doing enough to include them? Or is this another problem that we are dealing with in the life of our church? Are those of you who are at home feeling like the neglected Greek widows? You're not doing enough to connect with them and help them and support them. As we think about gathering together, we need to recognize that our culture has changed. People are working shift work. People are working out of town. People travel and have cabins. We have snowbirds. And so how do we all gather together to solve some of the challenges in our day? What does gathering together look like? Is it okay to attend church once, twice a year? Is it okay to attend once a month? Should you attend every week? Should it be all the time unless you have something else more important that comes up? Are you in a small group? Should you be in a small group? Do you only gather together with people that you like? People that you agree with? That you're saying the same income bracket with? The question to reflect on is, is what priority in your calendar do you give to gathering together with believers? Again, what does it mean to look like, what does it look like to gather together in our day and age? I'm going to give some practical options here, just because I have some, really practically. 
One of the current issues in our church is related to multi-site. We're three sites, and we're wondering how does that work. So on December 3rd, in the morning, we are going to be talking about these issues of our multi-site strategy, and I would encourage you to come and gather together. Some of our current issues relate to our confession of faith and how we live that out. And in the new year, we'll be offering an elective where we're looking at each of the articles of our confession of faith at 10 o'clock in the morning before the service, and I would encourage you to come and gather together. Three times a year, we have congregation meetings where we talk about the business of the church, and I would encourage you to come and gather together. Uh, from my perspective, Sunday mornings like this isn't the place to do, have these conversations. Uh, it sounds like from the text even that this wasn't a normal Sunday morning gathering that they dealt with this. I'd suggest that it was more of a congregation meeting than a corporate worship service. So, as they gather together, we get into the next point of recognizing that holistic ministry is important. The issue was the distribution of food and taking care of one another's practical needs. But prayer and ministry of the word was still important. This isn't about elevating the work of the apostles that's more important and that serving the practical needs are less than the spiritual needs. That's not the point. The point is about people serving in their roles and in their areas of giftedness. So, this is the start of the role of deacons in the church. If you've heard of, if you've been around church, you've heard the word deacon before. It means servant in the church. And we don't, in our force group, we don't have a a formal title of deacons, uh, but some churches do, and their roles are more the the serving the, the practical needs, the home visits and serving communion. You can kind of think of like Ange here in our care ministry uh, in, in our churches as, as deacons, doing the serving of, of people's practical needs, caring for people. Service is the foundation uh, for church leadership, serving the needs of others. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And church leadership involves serving. Now, the, the early church at this point isn't at a place of clarifying all the spiritual gifts, but they are starting working through that in in that direction. They recognize that some people need to speak and pray, and others need to serve the practical needs of the vulnerable in their congregations. Uh, This is another place where where I definitely see divides in the church, in our church. There's some people who prioritize the spiritual needs, and there's other people that prioritize the physical needs. And again, our our discipleship steps include this. So one of our steps so we say, serve others and proclaim the gospel. It's one of our, our steps in discipleship. But the two of them are together in one step. As we grow in discipleship, we need to recognize that the, the importance of both, that serving others and proclaiming the gospel need to be held together. As we move forward in Scripture, more of the spiritual gifts that are, are used to build up the church come, come into view. And we see different people serving in different ways. And as gifting is recognized, we start to see the church come back together. It's at this point in our text that it says, and it pleased the whole group. 
They agreed that there would be different responsibilities for different people in the life of the church. Let's not have all the weight on the apostles. They need to pray and minister to the Word at that time, and others will care for the widows. And as a church, I I think that the point here is that we need to do both. It's holistic. I think that it's normal that each one of us has an individual leaning, maybe. One of them might be more important or, or more natural for you. But how do we do that well, both sides of that in our church? Let's recognize and affirm and empower people that, are, that have different giftings than us. Uh, if you're in a small group or in uh, even just some strong relationships in the life of the church and you see strengths and gifts in others, let them know. Just, just point that out to them. Point out to them, hey, you're really good at this. Like, it just is natural. This is a place, this is some needs in our church. Why don't you fill that? Why don't you step into those, those needs? We have lots of needs uh, in the life of our church. Uh, we've been talking about we need more people uh, for leadership on council. Uh, we have facility and finance teams. We're looking for people to help with communication, uh, serving food to youth and youth leaders, serving at the bridge, uh, leading small groups. Those are just some of the different gifts and skills uh, that we're looking for. And if you are like, yeah, okay, I need to step into that. I'm convicted by God by the, from the Lord. Yes. Then you can go and talk to the person at the Welcome Center. You can go and talk to a pastoral staff. You can talk to some small group leaders. You can talk to some people in the life of the church and say, hey, how do I get more involved? How do I end up filling some of these needs? But with this comes some qualifications of leadership. It wasn't just anyone that was, that was leading. So choose seven men from among you as is kind of the way that the NIV puts this, and they're filled with the Spirit and wisdom. And the NIV doesn't translate this one as, as well as some of the other uh, versions because uh, some of the other translations talk about uh, people of good repute or well-trusted or well-respected by the group. It wasn't just anyone from the group. It was someone with a good reputation. And they needed to be filled with the Spirit and filled with wisdom as uh, the three leadership qualifications. Uh, From what I can tell, uh, leaders today are almost expected to walk on water. Personally, I feel that pressure. So I like this list. This is really helpful because it holds me accountable to the basics. Maintain good relationships, depend on the Spirit, make wise decisions. So if you're a young leader in the church, there's three simple points to try to attain to. They're also a good measure for all of us in the life of the church. As we step more into the life of the church, follow Christ more, are those three things ways that we personally can live in in the church? So let's look at each of them really quickly. Um, First of all, how are you building trust? How are you building a good reputation in the church? Do you have a good reputation? Are you respected? Why? Why not? How can you increase your reputation? There's lots of of things. I'd rather do like a leadership forum where we end up having some discussion and put things on the whiteboard with stickies and all that. I think that we could come up with some good answers. I'll throw out one. Uh, I think it's it's increasing your credibility. And credibility grows as you steward what has been entrusted to you over a long period of time. So whatever it is, large or small, whatever roles you play, steward those roles well And over a longer period of time, your credibility will grow. And as we all know, credibility is real easy to lose. 
and really hard to gain. And it's this, that, that importance of stewardship of what you've been given. Uh, second is, is being filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is a whole sermon on its own. Um, but it's a, as a leadership qualification, I'm going to suggest that it means dependence on the Holy Spirit and not on yourself. It's, it's that the fruit of the Spirit would be seen in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That those things are seen uh, by others in you. I, I personally look for people who are quick to pray or to acknowledge the Spirit's presence. That, that person who says, well, yeah, let's pray about it. Like just is, is their quick response. That's what I look for. Or the person who recognizes their own limit and makes other aware, others aware that God is in control and can provide a way through a problem. In other words, I look for the leader who is the, as being the person who doesn't freak out during hard times because their faith in God is strong and they can handle the situation even when they feel out of control because they know that God is in control. And finally, uh, full of wisdom as a, as a leadership qualification. This isn't just being well-schooled, but it's knowing how to practically use that knowledge. Life experience here is a huge help. But I also know that there are many young people that are wise beyond their years. They simply have this gift of knowing what to say and how to say it and, and when to say it. I'll suggest that wisdom is born out of humility. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, is what it says in Proverbs 9. When we humble ourselves before God, we grow in wisdom. When we ask questions of others who are further down the road, we end up showing humility. And as a result, we grow in wisdom. So, like I said already, uh, this is a simple criteria to use uh, for church leadership and is a good starter for uh, self-reflection. How do these three things describe you? And how can you grow in each of them? So with those three as part of the process, we have a solution here. And it comes up as an administrative system is the solution that's created. Seven men are chosen. Seven would be very familiar to the Jewish system. There would be seven men leading, so that's a very Jewish system. But then you look at their names, and their names are primarily Greek. So as these two sides gather, you have a Jewish system that is used, but the Greeks are entrusted to implement it. I think it's important to note that with uh, a system set up and basic competencies laid out, that a group of seven was put forward to the apostles and then commissioned. It's similar to what we just did with the shoeboxes. We say, okay, God, these are the gifts that we have. These are the people that we have. Bless them, and we send them out to be used by God, to be used by you, Lord. We do this with missionaries as well. I think we need to do this more. I think this would be a great blessing to our mom's team if we commissioned them, to our youth leaders if we commissioned them, to our small group leaders, to our kitchen servers, and just publicly bless those who have been entrusted with leadership in the church. I think it's something that we especially need to do more when we have issues. We come together, we make a decision, and then we bless and commission those who are to live it out. I, I have seen this done well with our church council. They are people of good reputation, dependent on the spirit, full of wisdom, and they've been working through all sorts of challenges, as, as I'm sure the group of seven needed to do as they were doing the food distribution. 
And our council is, is doing it with the blessing of our congregation. We are the ones who have said, yes, we entrust you to lead. I want to go back to the, the structure point here and uh, just say that it might be a bit of a reach, but both sides would have had to do some give and take on this one. Uh, the Jewish traditions that they were familiar with were changing. The Greeks were stepping in. And as we see even further along in Scripture, in the life of the church, the realization that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, would be following Jesus was even more radical and would have thrown even a, a bigger monkey wrench into the whole problem there as well. This group of, of ideal group was about to become more diver, diverse as the church was growing. And there's obviously times where systems need to change. The new group needs to be allowed to lead. The Greeks likely distributed food differently than the Jews. And this could be a bunch, a bunch of, mean a bunch of different things as, as we apply it today, but I'll, I'll highlight this. If you see new leaders that think differently than you, but they're respectable, they're full of the Spirit and wise, let's trust them to lead. But let's provide a structure for them. If you're new and you have new ideas, first live within the structure that you've been given, not just changing it before you've learned to value it. So for some reflection, what structures are causing tension? How can they be improved? How can we release new people to live out new ways to meet our current challenges and provide a healthy structure for them? Final point, the result. The number of disciples grew, including Jewish priests, the traditional thinkers switching from Judaism to following the way of Jesus. I think it's interesting that the word of God, that the word of God spreading and the disciples growing is the outcome. Instead of uh, Luke just saying, and so the Greek widows were fed. Like, wasn't that the problem? No, the word of God was spread. That's the solution. And I think what we see is when a problem is dealt with in unity and spiritual gifts are used and people serve, that the church grows. And that was the bigger problem that was at risk here. If they didn't come together and if people didn't serve and use their gifts, I think it's safe to say that we wouldn't see a healthy resolution for the church. Instead, I, I think the story would have been something like, and so the Greeks figured out how to feed their widows on their own. And the church divided into Greeks and Hebrews. And as a result, people needed to pick a church based on their language and background instead of their common unity in Jesus Christ. I think that might have been what would have happened if it hadn't been resolved. To some of you, that might actually not sound too bad. It, it might be a whole lot easier. But it misses out on the importance of unity in the midst of conflict. Instead of division, here we see growth. But it shouldn't be lost that the original cause of the problem was growth. And as a result, there were continued times where the church disagreed and came together to seek resolution. Because it doesn't take long to go continue on in the book of Acts to see that there's more complaining and the apostles and church leaders need to come in and address some other sort of issue, either theological or practical or whatever it is. 
And like I said today, it's been a continued thing in the church for the last 2,000 years. Conflict is normal. It just needs to be dealt with instead of put to the side. In spite of my speculations, I think the important lesson in this passage is that Luke likely wants to highlight the importance of growth in the church when problems are resolved, and that the continued growth of the disciples and the church is more important than the source of the conflict. But if the source of the conflict is not dealt with, it can hinder spreading God's word. So, a brief application. The worship team can come on up, and uh, we'll continue uh, some singing here. Our, our church has issues. Uh, it, it is not perfect. So please gather together when the opportunity comes up. Come on Sunday, worship online with us. Make it a priority in your schedule. But also engage in the other challenges. Don't shy away from them. We're currently looking to work through our multi-site strategy. Again, December 3rd, in the morning, we'll have an opportunity to come together. Those of you with gifts that need to be given leadership roles, whether that's serving meals or joining a facility or finance team or joining council, we want to see your gifts used in the life of our church and in our community. Let's use the systems that we have, but let's be willing to allow change, new ways to do something. And maybe it won't be done how it's been done or how you would do it, but let's bless and encourage those that are entrusted with leadership. If you see something that just doesn't sit with you well, go and talk to that person directly. Start by asking caring questions, not accusations. Have a humble learning posture as a start of wisdom. So like Luke, the author, let's shoot for that ideal church and ideal behaviors, but recognize that there will be conflict and there will be mistakes. As we gather together, let's give one another the grace to try something different. Let's be humble enough to trust others and their intentions. And let's continue to pray for a filling of the Spirit as we depend on Him. Let's pray. So Jesus, uh, this is your word, and this is my understanding of, of what you have to say to us. And I just pray that your Spirit would be working in our church in the midst of our conflicts, that you would bring us together, that you would uh, raise up leaders that we would be able to live this out so that uh, your word will, will go forth, that the church will grow, that we will grow, that our community would come to know you, Jesus. We trust you in the midst of the challenges of church, but we thank you so much for bringing us together and that we can be unified in your name. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.